praying, and I just felt, I, you know, we're a church of underdogs, aren't we? And you're going to find out in these next few weeks that the Bible is full of underdogs and that God desires to use what the world will call the least of these. So God, I just, you know, put your seatbelts on and get ready because you're going to be encouraged and inspired today that God, if God can use these people in the Bible, he can use you too. And he desires to and he wants to. So let's pray. If you would bow your heads with me, please. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God that loves to use underdogs. God, that you are the one who desires to move in our lives. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today, that you would give us hearts that would be soft and that would receive it, and that you would give us understanding so that we can walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've got the victory in Christ. So let's talk about an underdog for a minute. The definition of an underdog is a competitor, a competitor thought to have little chance of winning a fight or contest. Our foundational scripture for this entire sermon series is Mark 10, 31. But many who are first will be last in the last first. You know, everyone loves the story of an underdog. It's basically what Hollywood movies are made of, right? Some of the best movies our underdogs, Rocky. I mean, we grew up in the 80s, man. Rocky. How many of you guys love that? You know, we all love the Italian stealing. You know, we all love the underdog. And so many others from, from Mighty Duck to Karate Kid to the first Captain America. I mean, some of the greatest movies were based on underdogs. And there's, and if we take some time to look through the Bible, we'll see there's tons of underdogs that God used in the Bible as well. God loves to use the little guy, the little guy that overcomes the odds and wins. God loves an underdog. One of the greatest underdogs in the Bible was Moses. Moses was the man of God that, that God chose to free a whole nation of people who were in bondage and slavery in Egypt, and God chose to use him. But Moses, you know, he didn't really feel that he was qualified to be used by God. Friends, I want to tell you, if you don't feel qualified to be used by God, that's a good thing. Because when we think that, oh, yeah, we, you know, God got the best thing when he got me, well, we're probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. But when you feel like you're not qualified, that's because God wants to get the glory in your life, and he wants to get the glory and the victory. And so it's okay to feel like you're not qualified. That's a good thing. But we're going to talk today about Moses, and we're going to talk about how God used this man who was an underdog and how God took him from an underdog to a hero and how God wants to take us from an underdog to a hero. And today's message is called Four Steps. Say four steps. steps. To go from mousy to mighty. That's what Moses was. Mousy to mighty. Moses was mousy. If you're taking notes, you found your talk it over sheet in your bulletin when you walked in. The first fill in the blank there is Moses was mousy. Let me explain to you what mousy means. See, mousy means a person who is nervous and shy or timid, lacking in presence and charisma. Moses was mousy. He was intimidated. Who would have foreseen a man like Moses who was 
intimidated, who was mousy, who really didn't have the best leadership or speaking abilities or even plain common sense in some things, be used by God to free a nation of people. Say, only God. Only God. See, even when God called Moses to lead the people out of bondage, Moses doubted his own ability, but God wanted to to use him anyway. He was looking for an underdog. He was looking for an underdog, and Moses was the underdog. And look at all the things that he did, all the things that he did. I mean, other than Jesus, obviously, in the Bible, what other man of God can stand up and compare to, to Moses? And yet he was an underdog. See, when Moses, he had a speech impediment. Most scholars believe that he had a stuttering problem. And this is what he said to God when he met God in the desert, when he saw, when God manifested himself in the burning bush, Moses gave a bunch of excuses. And one of the main excuses he gave was found here in Exodus 4, 10 and 12. It said, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. I found it interesting that he said, I've never been eloquent in speech, neither in the past and not even now when you've spoken to me. You know, sometimes I think that we, we have this thought that once we meet God, that he's going to take all of our problems away. Moses was talking to God in the burning bush, and he's like, listen, I'm still stuttering even though I'm seeing you here in this burning bush. Right? A lot of times we expect, when God shows up, we expect everything in our life to be fixed. All of our health problems to be gone. And sometimes, it, it, sometimes God does that. But sometimes he allows us to have just a little bit of suffering. And so here's Moses saying, listen, I'm, I'm still, in case you can, can, can't tell, slow of speech here. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is, it, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. See, Moses was afraid of not knowing what to say, but God wanted and desired to teach him. Friends, if you feel like you don't know how, that's okay, because God is a great teacher, and he desires to teach us. He was unsure of his abilities. And this is the thing. The devil wanted to keep Moses mute. He wanted to keep him silent. Is there an area maybe in your life that you feel God is speaking to you about? That the enemy has bound you up with fear, bound you up with insecurities that's made you mute in your life, made you keep silent when you know that you ought to speak up? Think about it for a minute. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love of it will eat of its fruit. See, maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe God is trying to get your attention that he wants to use you, and guess what? Use your mouth. Use your mouthpiece for his glory. If God wanted to, he could just open up the heavens and Declare himself as God in front of everyone. Like he did on the day that Jesus got baptized and the heavens were open and he said, this is my son. He could do that right now, but God has desire, he desires to use you, to use you, to use me. He desires to use our mouth, our life. Hmm. I want to share something. Can we get a little deep for a second? Can we get a little deep? 
Y'all ready to get a little deep? I know we got our, our praiser size on, but now it's time to get a little deep in the word, okay? We're going to break down what Hebrews 4.12 means. Because God wants to use our mouth. And for us to break the mousy off of us, the intimidation off of us, we've got to learn to use our mouth. And not just to tell someone about themselves, right? Because we're good at using our mouth that way. But I mean, use our mouth when God desires us to speak his word. So here's Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to... Dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So this is talking about the word of God. Now the Bible, when it talks about the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, the word of God is the what? Piece of armor. The sword of the spirit. I was letting somebody's answer. Come on. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Now Hebrews 4 says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any what? Double-edged sword. Now, it's also interesting when we read the book of Revelation, when Jesus is coming back on a horse, it says there's a sword and it's coming out of his mouth. Now, isn't that interesting? You would think of a sword being in a person's hand or maybe, on, you know, on their side, but it's coming out of his mouth. So the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And when we look at that word, word of God and the full armor of God, it actually means rhema. That rhema word is different than the logos word. The logos word is the entire book, uh, the entire Bible, the, the, the full counsel of the Bible, okay? But the rhema word, which is the sword of the spirit that we use against the enemy when he attacks us, the rhema word, which is the double-edged sword, that is the quickened, right on time, right now word. That's the word of God that Jesus used in Matthew 4 when he was in the desert and he was being tempted by the enemy. When the devil came to him and said, listen, you hungry? Y'all know that was me. I'm like, yes, I'm hangry, right? But he's like, are you hungry? Well, you're God. Take this stone and make it bread. And Jesus said to him, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That was a rhema word. That was a, the enemy's attacking. That's a right now, I need the word of God. That's the rhema word. That's the word of God that the double-edged sword talks about. That's the word of God that God has for us. When you're going through things, when you get quiet before the Lord and you're praying and saying, God, I need an answer. I need to hear you. And his word comes. And it's not just something that you feel in your spirit like, oh, I want you to be happy. No, I'm talking about as a word, like a scripture verse in the Bible, something that lines up with the word of God, right? And it comes and says, like, for instance, my mom a few years ago went through cancer and we were praying and we were fasting and we were seeking God's face. And at that time, several of my um mentors and people that I've looked up to had cancer and were dying of cancer. And so I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little bit afraid of what could happen to my mom. I wasn't ready to let go yet. And we were praying and fasting and God spoke to my mom that this sickness will not end in death. And that's a scripture that's found in the new Testament. And she held on to it. And she said, this is a word of God. And when she felt afraid and when she felt tempted to give into depression, she said, this sickness will not end in death. That was a rhema word. Now listen, friends, the sword of the spirit, the double-edged spirit that divides the flesh from the spirit man, that actual Greek word for double-edged sword, it's distomos, and it means two mouth. Ain't that a weird word in the Greek? Two mouth. 
I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, we've heard of Two-Face, right? He's like a character on Batman or something, but Two-Mouth, that's just odd. But when we look at it closer, the reason it's Two-Mouth is because the word first comes from God's mouth, right? That sword of the spirit, the rhema word, where did it come from in the book of Revelation? From God's mouth. So that word first comes from God's mouth. And then we're in our prayer closet and we're playing God. Like my mom, God, I have this disease. Give me a word. And he drops that word from his mouth into her spirit that this sickness will not end in death. That's a rhema word. She grabs a hold of it. But now it comes to mouth. You know how it comes to mouth? Because now when the enemy comes and says, oh, you got cancer, you're going to die. She said, the Lord spoke to me. This sickness will not end in death. Now it's the double-edged sword. It's to mouth. Come on, friends. Someone get this today. You know what that is? That is the power of declaration. But the enemy wants to keep us mousy. He wants to make us afraid. He wants us to be intimidated. So he brings sickness. He brings disease. He brings uh, problems in our family, problems in our finances, problems in our marriage. And we're looking at all the problems and we're just speaking everything that we see instead of getting in the closet and praying for the word of God, the double-edged sword that penetrates the flesh from the spirit. We need to start declaring in the house today. That I am the head and not the tail. Can you say that with me? I am the head and not the tail. God is for you. Who can be against you? It's funny, friends, that a lot of us, when we get into an argument, ooh, when we get into an argument with our spouse, we're not intimidated then. All the stuff. We think of something, women, we think of something that happened 10 years ago. And we, put, we got it tucked away. We pull it back out. Like, you remember when? They're like, no, that was 10 years ago. I forgot all about that. We pull it out. But when we are being attacked by the enemy, it's like we don't have any knowledge of the word of God. We forget anything that the Bible says. We get intimidated and we're mousy and we're afraid to declare, friends, I'm telling you, there is power in declaration. We've got to start speaking the truth. Declaring it. God is for us, who can be against us? Say it with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? Friends, when you feel mousy and insecure in your ability to speak, we must remember it's not about us. It's about God. Let God teach you what to say, just like he taught Moses. So Moses' transformation begins at the bush when he meets God in the, in, in the Bush that wasn't consumed with, you know, the burning bush. That's when it started. That's when it started, but not really, because his transformation actually began way before then. He just didn't realize God was working. See, a lot of times we remember the day that we got saved. We remember the day that we gave our heart over to the Lord. We remember that time or that season. I remember I was 19 years old. It was in 98, and it was the springtime. Next year, it'll be 20 years. And see, I grew up in church, but... I kept wavering back and forth. And then something happened that springtime. I remember God getting a hold of me. But see, later, as I've grown the Lord, God has shown me, oh, it happened. The, the transformation was beginning way before the springtime of 98. Same thing with Moses. He encountered God and his life was forever changed at the burning bush. But it happened way before then, friends. So the next step in going from a 
underdog to a hero or from mousy to mighty is Moses was a miracle baby. It started way back when. See, he was a miracle baby. Moses almost didn't live to see the day of his birth as Pharaoh had commanded that all the Israel baby boys be killed because he was concerned of the growing size of the nation of Israel. When Israel, when the nation was freed by Moses, a lot of scholars believe it was a million people. So, he, so this Pharaoh was growing concerned with how much they were multiplying. So Pharaoh was worried that if Egypt went to war, millions of Israelite slaves would join sides with the enemy and Egypt would be defeated. Hmm. If only he knew. Hebrews 11, though, in the New Testament, when it talks about Moses' parents, listen to what it says. It says, by faith, say by faith. Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Friends, you need to realize today that you're not ordinary. You are not ordinary. God has you here for such a time as this. You are not ordinary. God is working for you, and the enemy is afraid of what the Lord is doing. See, I believe Moses, when he encountered the Lord at the, at the bush in, in Exodus 3 and 4, I believe he really didn't quite understand who he was. You know, I think Moses probably had some issues for being given up for adoption. I think he probably had some abandonment issues, maybe some rejection issues. I know, I know quite a few people who um, have been adopted or through the foster system, and, and most people that I know who even those who are Christians who have overcome, there is a process that they had to go through to overcome feeling rejected and overcome feeling abandoned. abandoned. And even though Moses' parents put him in that Nile River in a basket by faith because they believed God was going to do something to spare his life, Moses probably felt a little bit of abandonment. He probably suffered with a little bit of emotional issues. It probably is what caused him to be an underdog. That's why Moses' first question to God when God appeared to him was, hold up, God, in Exodus 3, 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I can relate to this. God just spoke to Pastor Joshua, my husband and I. Pastor Joshua is water, at Waterville right now doing their pre-launch service. And when God first spoke to us to as an urban church to plant a church from the hood to the wood is what we call it. We said, God, do you got the right people? <laughs> who, are, who are we? And friends, when God calls you to do something, it's very natural for us to doubt our own abilities because he's God. And so here's Moses, even though he's a miracle baby, he does not realize the miracle that he is. And he says, who am I? A lot of people that have rejection and insecurity issues deal with identity issues, not realizing who they are. I believe there's a lot of people in this room right here today that don't realize who you are in Christ. So Moses begins to conversate with God. And then the next converse, conversation and the next question, he says, but God, if I go for you, who shall I say sent me? Basically, he's saying, God, who are you? And God answers, I am that I am, friends. What an answer. 
that he is everything. He was the one who is, who was, and is to come, the alpha and the omega and everything in between, friends. God is everything you need. And that's what Moses, what God was saying to Moses, listen, it's not about your abilities. I am everything that you need. And I was with you when you didn't even know, when you don't even have the memory, when you can't remember you floating in the Nile River. I remember because I guided you past all the crocodiles, all the alligators, all the crazy things in there. And I led you exactly where you needed to be, friends. And God's hand was on you when you were in your mother's womb. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1, 5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Friends, I'm here to declare to you today, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. Even if your mother denied you, even if your father rejected you, you are not an accident. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it started way before you even met God and accepted him as your savior. It started. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. There's a plan and a purpose for your life today. See, what underdogs have to realize is what they have to realize is there's miracles around every corner. Moses was a miracle, baby. Friends, there has been miracles in your life around every corner. Before you even can remember there was a miracle. The fact that you survived, the fact that, that your daddy's DNA, you know what I'm talking about, met your mama's DNA and formed you in the womb. That's a miracle in itself. That you're even here. God's hand is on you and we have to start seeing the miracles that he has for us. You're not an accident. Sometimes the hardest thing we go through in our life, God allowed to prepare us for who we are to become. See, this is the thing, friends. Your setback is the platform for your comeback. Come on, somebody. Your setback is the platform for your comeback. Romans 8, 28, one of my life verses. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Underdogs learn to expect miracles, friends. Say, I'm looking for my miracle. And I'm expecting it. Come on. And I'm declaring it. So Moses' transformation began. Way before he met God at the bush, way back when he was a baby. But see, another part in his transformation story, and a lot of our transformation stories, especially when we go from mousy to mighty, is oftentimes we might feel misplaced. Moses felt misplaced. And what I mean by misplaced is incorrectly positioned. Have you ever been in a place and you just felt this just wasn't right? Just just a little bit. I, I'm incorrectly positioned. I'm just out of place. Just, I just don't quite fit in here. See, think about Moses, right? He grew up in Pharaoh's court. He grew up as one of the privileged ones, and yet he felt just a little bit out of place. He obviously felt just a little bit out of place because he ended up seeing a, 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 a Egyptian master beat a Hebrew slave to that or beat a Hebrew slave. And so he took matters into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian master. He must have felt a little out of place. He must have felt a little bit 
incorrectly positioned. Matter of fact, the Bible confirms that because in Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy a fleeting pleasures of sin. Man, if God could raise more of us up that would rather be mistreated for the cause of Christ than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If God could give a little, uh, some of us just a little bit more boldness, if he could take us just from mousy to mighty just a little bit more, if he could just help us realize that sometimes we feel misplaced, we feel like we're incorrectly positioned because God is getting ready to turn something around for us. But, you know, Moses, he made a mistake. He tried to take matters into his own hands. You know, I believe that God, right then, he was feeling God's calling on his life. He knew something was different about him, and not just the fact that he was not Egyptian. He knew something was different about him. He knew God had a plan. He knew there was no one else his age among the Hebrew people, but he was saved, and God had a plan. He just, he had felt something. And so he took matters into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian master. How many of us take matters into our own hands? It's like we feel God's doing something. We feel God's calling us. You know, we feel like that promotion at our workplace is ours. And, and so we take matters into our own hands and we, we, we talk out of place. We speak out of place. We step out of place. And we don't get the promotion we thought we should. Maybe it's in ministry. We know that God has called us to do something. Maybe we feel like we're supposed to, you know, start this small group or, or help in this, with this outreach. And then we speak out of place. We talk out of place. We don't get in alignment. And we kind of miss it. And then we get upset with God. Like, how do we miss this? You know? And then when we actually take things into our own hands instead of allow God to do the work, when the mess happens, because when we do something in our own, mess always follows right? Come on. Every time. And then you know what happens? Just like Moses, we run. Woo! Oh, snap. I know I'm messed up now. I can't run very fast in these heels, y'all, but come on. You get the picture, right? Come on. Chugga, 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 chugga. Choo-choo. Come on, friends. We run. We mess up and we run. What are you running to? What are you running to? Man, when things aren't going right in your life, are you running to overeating? Oh, Jesus. Are you running to alcohol of some, or, or some kind of drug that would make you feel better? Some kind of addiction, some kind of bad habit that makes you feel better for just a moment? Are you running to looking at something on the internet that, that gives you hope for just a second? And then you know, this ain't, this ain't it. This ain't it. Come on, friends, what are we running to? The very place you run from could be the place that God desires to use you at. The place that you run from could be the place that God wants to use you. And this is the goodness of God. The very place that you run to, God will still meet you. Moses ran to the desert, but God still met him right there. God, we cannot outrun God. We cannot hide from God. The Bible says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from his love. That we, there's no height that we can run to. There's no depth that we can go to. Nothing can separate us from God's love, friends. When you don't feel like you fit in, maybe it's because you're supposed to stand out. 
See, Moses felt misplaced, but he didn't realize that it was God's plan to transform an underdog to a hero. It was God's plan to transform Moses from a mousy person to a mighty person in Christ. So this last step here, from mousy to mighty, is through God, Moses was mighty. And friends, through God, you can be mighty too. Mighty means possessing great and oppressive power or strength, especially on account of size. When God was moved with compassion to free a nation, he looked out for an underdog and he found Moses and he decided to use him. Even though Moses originally told God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses realized, as should we, it's not who you are, it's whose you are. It's not who you are, it's whose you are, friends. So often we look at ourselves and we see all of our past, we see all of our mistakes, we see everything that we mess up with and we think, who am I? But we forget to remember, whose Whose are you? Is that proper grammar? I don't know, but that was good preaching. (laughs) It's all about whose you are. See, this is the thing. God has a vision far greater than our sight. God has a vision far greater than our sight. We only see what's in front of us. We even have a hard time with hindsight. They say hindsight's... 2020. Why we keep making the same mistakes if hindsight's 2020? Come on. It's got to be at least colorblind because we didn't see things like that before, right? All summer, we're like, oh man, I think I've been here before. Yeah, you've been here a couple times. Right? Come on. Hindsight's 2020. No, it's not. If it was, you wouldn't keep on making the same old mistake. This is the thing. We've got to ask God, let me see how you see, because I don't see right. My discernment's off. Oh, we put so much trust in our spiritual gifts. I'm, I'm, I, there was a time, man, I thought my discernment was so on key. Pastor Earl, he's like an encourager. He used to be like, oh, I trust you, Pastor. Your discernment's so on. And then in 2013, I went through some stuff. I was pouring into somebody. And my discernment was all off. I was all kinds of, I ended up in the hospital. I was so off. Seriously, it was the best pastor's conference I ever had. I was in the hospital. I, could have, I really literally could have died. I had sepsis. Look it up. A lot of people die when they get that. I, I literally could have died. I, I got nurses in here like, yep, you sure could have. My, I thought, oh, my discernment's on. And God was like, no, nah, girl. <laughs> he gave me a new nickname that day. He called me baby girl. And he spoke to me and said, I still need him. God's vision for your life is greater than what you can see. Even in the problems, even in the storm, God is there. I realized that day in 2013, man, how do people go through this without God? How do people go through health problems, family crises? How do people go through their name being smeared through their mud? How do people go through rejection and abandonment? How do people go through this without God? Because life is messy and it hurts. But through Christ, friends, we can do all things, and that means endure all things. 
See, God has a vision far greater than my sights. God wants to make me mighty. God wants to make me the head and not the tail. God wants to make you mighty, friends, the head and not the tail. God wants you to realize that if he is for you, who can be against you? It's not who you are, it's whose you are. We need to realize that every hero starts out as an underdog. Isn't that a good thing? Come on. Every hero starts out as an underdog. Look at Gideon in the Bible. He was afraid. Mm -mm -mm. He was afraid. Hiding from the enemy. And God's like, hey, you mighty warrior. He's like, mighty warrior, you got the wrong person. He's like, no, 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 you mighty warrior. And God used him to deliver his people. Look at Joseph. He started out all kinds of good. I mean, he was living the luxury. Favorite child, nice gear, was looking good in this coat of many colors. God's like, no, 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 no. I use an underdog. You got it going on too much. So we're going to just sell you into slavery, throw you into prison. We, you got to go to prison before you go to the palace, okay? That's how I work. <laughs> God is in the business of using underdogs. The Bible says, do not put all this, this uh, grandeur in your high position, but Take pride in your low position. Come on, friends. We need to realize every hero starts as an underdog. We need God's might. I love Ephesians 6. We talked about the full armor. I'm going to read this verse to you. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Say mighty power. God wants to do the most awesome work where the enemy has done the most damage. Think about your life. Where the enemy has done the most damage, God wants to do the most awesome work. Where the enemy has just destroyed your finances, God wants to do an awesome work in you and make you a giver. When the enemy has tried to destroy your marriage, God wants to bring reconciliation to your marriage and make it one that would be an example to others. Come on. Where God has done, where the enemy has done damage, God wants to use you at. God sees us, and he loves us. So if you're only looking at the odds that are stacked against you, friends, take heart. Because when the odds are stacked against you, when everything is coming against you, when you have little chance of winning, when you are the little man, when you are the underdog, God's going to rise. He's going to rise up within you, friends. God wants to use an underdog just like you, just like me. It's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Come on, somebody. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Hmm. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Come on, friends. God wants to use you. You might feel like you're an underdog in here. That's great. That's an awesome place to be. You might see all the things that are stacked up against you. That's okay. Because God loves to use you especially when the odds are against you. Would you stand to your feet with me today?
If God can use Moses, if God can use Gideon, if God can use Joseph and all these different people in the Bible who were underdogs, God can use you, friends. God wants to use you. Is there something in your life right now that's stacked up against you? Is there, a, is there something that you're having a hard time fighting through? Is there a battle that you're going through that you feel like you need the strength of the Lord? If so, would you raise your hands before the Lord? Would you raise your hands before the Lord? Yeah. We want to pray with you today. Could our prayer team come up, up here and just stand right on up here? Right on up here. Grab you some oil. We want to pray for you today. Because you know what? We serve the God of the underdogs. Come on, somebody. We serve the God of the underdogs. We have our prayer team up here. Would you just go ahead and close your eyes before the Lord? If you raised your hand before the Lord and said, you know what, I'm battling something right now. Would you go ahead and make your way right on up here? Right on up here to these guys here. These guys are, are underdogs themselves. And they want to pray for you. They want to lay hands on you. They want to believe with you that God wants to use you. That God wants to do an awesome, mighty work through you. Because God is not finished. He's just beginning. You are the head and not the tail, friends. Keep declaring your truth before the Lord. I'm going to speak a blessing over everyone, but don't just run out the door just yet because this could be someone's mom, someone's sister, someone's brother, someone's husband up here again, touched by God. But I want to bless all of you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for this congregation of people. I thank you for this amazing service today. I thank you that you are the God of the underdogs. And just like you took Moses from mousy to mighty, from an intimidated person who was afraid to speak, to a bold deliverer and prophet of God. Lord, you can take us from our lowly place, Lord God, and you can use us that we would increase in, in your kingdom, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would touch everybody right where they're at, right now, and that you would love on them right where they're at, in Jesus' name. Amen.